Good morning, everyone. Uh, middle of the night last night, Mark uh, tooled out into the room and said, uh, I'm sick. Can you cover not resting well? And, of course, that compassion that only brothers have. <laughs> I, I recall that verse from Scripture, um, there's no rest for the wicked. <laughs> I was resting so well. And uh, so I just downloaded something off the internet. I thought, let's go. Let's have all the dads in the campuses stand. Everybody stand that are dads, grandpas, great-grandfathers. Hooray for the dads! It's awesome. Awesome. Glad to be seated. (laughs) You know, the fun thing about being a dad is you can be an idiot and still be a dad. You know, we're kind of like uh, we're kind of like like pillars in a in a building. You know, you just the most important thing about a pillar is not that they do anything, but they're just there, and you can just kind of just be in there. You look smart, even though we're not. Right? I want to talk this morning about being a dad. Um, we get the whole idea actually about fatherhood from God Himself. There's a Uh, a text in Ephesians 3 where Paul says, For this very reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. So interesting to me how even though God is the mastermind of the universe, he's the the one that that has created everything that we see. He's deeply involved in the direction of history. And he's known as Almighty God. And yet... When he asks us to talk to him, he doesn't say, you know, I want you to refer to me as Almighty God. I mean, even though he is, uh, he asks us to refer to him as our father. He defines himself as being a dad. Jesus, when he tells us to pray, he doesn't say, you know, pray, uh, you know, our intergalactic uh, CEO of ministry. You know, I've come to you. We're to just simply talk to him as a father. And that the whole idea of of our future home of eternity is called a home. It's not just called a place. And so somehow God really, as a part of who he is, defines himself as a dad. What's interesting about that is I never put that much value on it when I started out as being a dad. I mean, I knew it was important, but uh, I, I really thought that what was most important for me was to, as a young guy, to discover my strengths and my gifts and employ those. Um, I thought that I, I, I need to make my mark on the world right? And which meant I needed to be out there. <laughs> and uh, uh, as much as I possibly could, that's where you make money. That's where you have influence, you know, reaching everybody else's family, right? And uh, I, I knew marriage and family was an important part of life. I just never thought about them as being the most important. Um, I define myself as a leader. I define myself as a teacher, as an employer, as a worker, not as a dad and as a husband, um, there are a number of reasons why. I think one of them was because I just I didn't get the value God placed on it. I didn't understand that. I, I, I think the other reason is because even though my dad was very loving and very giving, he was a very busy physician. And, uh, and, and from another generation, from another culture, he was, he was brought up in Turkey or Bulgaria and Turkey. And, and so he came. He's from a different culture. He's from a different generation. He was a little bit uh, uh, relationally inept. You know, and, and there wasn't a lot of connection. So I didn't really have a good model. 
And so I didn't really get what being a dad was like. And there's something about guys I think we can all admit to is that we don't like feeling stupid. Right? And so if we're in a situation where we feel like idiots, we tend to drift into another situation where we're not so idiot-like. Right? So we tend to drift toward our jobs, drift toward our uh, areas that we feel we have some, some competence in. And, and again, time spent other places seemed to pay off more. I remember going and preaching, you know, because I'm a minister, I go and speak places, and I'd go, I remember going one particular weekend, and I spoke, and, and I had been there the year before, and I had numerous people come up to me, and they said, oh, Ed, man, last time you were here, it was so helpful, and it really changed my life, and it was just, it was just wonderful. Thank you so much. And, you know, I had a number, and you, you feel, you think, oh, cool, I'm, I'm making a difference. Well, then I went home that very next, after the weekend, I went home, I walked in. You know, my wife didn't greet me and say, oh, Ed Gunger. <laughs> You know how wonderful it is just to be able to wash your underwear. (laughs) And she just looked at me and said, hey, uh, garbage needs to be taken out. Good to see you, baby. And I'm here's the man of God, you know. (laughs) And my kids, you know, my kids don't come come home. They don't ever come up to me and go, oh, dad, man, oh, dad. You know, that last time you, you know, that last time you corrected me, it changed my life, man. It changed my life. Are you kidding me? My kids look at me, hey, dad, can I use your stuff? So, you know, I'm going out and doing stuff and I'm making all this difference in all these people's lives. Then I come home and there's... Seems like nothing's happened. It seems like I ought to spend most of my time out there. See, that's the way it feels. And to to men, sometimes we just don't think, oh gosh, it doesn't make much sense. And yet, God says, don't judge things from the surface. I'm calling you to something else. I'm calling you to something more. And I started to get it. I remember, first of all, because my wife, Gail, you know, she's a great mom, great wife. And she would look at me and say, you know, honey, I know you don't get it. She'd say to me, so you really need to be around these kids. They need you. I didn't feel like they needed me. She said, they need you. And I started going, okay, what does that even mean? And, and then I started running into verses in the Bible. And I started feeling God messing with me about this business of the value of being a dad. Um, here's a great one. This is in Malachi 4. And, and this is uh, uh, right at the end of the Old Testament. So it's right at the end before the New Testament. There's about 400 years, three or 400 years there. And this is one of the last things that the scripture says as it closes the Old Covenant. See, God says, I will send you the prophet Elijah. Now, the prophet Elijah was a big-time prophet dude who was very important in the Jewish mind. So when Elijah is mentioned, it's like it refers to the fire of God, the power of God. This is cool, right? So I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. And he, what will he do? He will do what? He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the kids. And the heart of the kids to their dads. Or else what will happen is the land will enter a deep suck. See, what he's saying is God cares about what happens in the home with dads and with kids. God wants children to capture a piece of our hearts. And actually, marriage and family are central to God's plan, God's dream, God's purpose for us, even from the beginning. If you go back to the beginning and look at the text in Genesis as you read the narrative, you hear this story of how God imagined a world that he would create and and dreamed of who would play different roles in that world. And he talks about humankind here in this verse, verse 26. Then God said, let us make human beings 
in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule in the world. And then he says in the next verse, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And watch what God says. God blessed them. And he said to them, hey guys, be fruitful, increase in number. He says, what he's saying is, have babies. That's what he's saying. (laughs) And fill the earth. See, God's dream was that you and I would engage in the planet and do it as a family. He loves families. You know, I'm not sure we get the gravity of this idea. We... uh, Sometimes I wonder, to be honest, if we get the, really the, the whole point of faith, what it's supposed to be about, about, about who we are, who we've been created to be, and who God is, and how this is supposed to work, and how we're part of a story he's telling in the world that will ultimately culminate with him coming here. And, and it's interesting, do we get the idea that God actually created us to be in his image? The Latin phrase is imago Dei. It means in the image of the divine in the image of God, that somehow we're like a reflection of God. When God created human beings, he wanted us to be a reflection. He wanted us to be in the world what he would be if he were flesh. That people would, in their lives, in, our, in, our, in the way that we lived, in the way that we conducted ourselves in the way that we, you know, our attitudes, our actions as moms, as dads, as human beings, husbands, wives, neighbors, citizens, that somehow we would actually show what God is like to others, that that's his dream. I'm not saying that God doesn't do miracles in the world beyond us and work outside of human beings, but, but, but I think his primary plan is to use humans for him to be seen in the world. Which means that our hands on some level become like his hands. And our, our words are like echoes of his words. And that somehow our care for our children is like an extension of God's care for the children. That our kindness to an injured soul is like God's kindness to an injured soul. A reflection of him into the world. What if being a dad is really about showing God to a child? That's what, that's what I'm suggesting here. Um, uh, that somehow <laughs> we are, in a very real way, revealing God to the world. Here's a striking verse. Um, this is Exodus 7 and 1. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh. Hey, Mo, see, I've made you like God to Pharaoh. Not that Moses was God, but that somehow to Pharaoh he was like God. I wonder if, if being a dad is almost like us being like God to our little pharaohs, those little ingrates that live at your house. Right? There's a cool story in the Old Testament that talks about how somehow when we're, as fathers, talking to our kids, how we mess with them, what, what, what triggers are touched in them, that it's, it's the same place that when they get older that God touches. And in this story, there's some confusion because God is speaking to this little boy, Samuel. And when God touches Samuel and he hears God's voice, the scripture says that when he hears God, he thinks it's Eli who is his stepfather, who's operating as his father figure. And so God speaks to to Samuel and he automatically thinks it's his father. Because somehow that line of father to son, father to daughter, and, and I think this is involved with mothers as well, that somehow we as parents 
have a role in our children that's like God will have. And so we read the text. Uh, then the Lord said, to, called Samuel. Samuel answered, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, hey, here I am. You called me. But Eli said, dude, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. So he went back and laid down. And again, the Lord said, Samuel. Samuel got up. He ran to Eli. He said, here I am. You called me. My son, Eli said, go back to bed. I didn't call you. Now, Samuel didn't yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. He just thought it was his dad. So the Lord's called Samuel a third time. Samuel got up and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, You go and you lie down. And if he calls you again, you say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel goes back and he lays down again. And the Lord came and stood there calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. Exactly what his dad told him to do. See, in Samuel's psyche, God sounded like his parental figure. I'm suggesting, what if, what, if, what if that's what we're supposed to be like to our kids, that we're supposed to be like God to our kids, that somehow parenting is us preparing them as they grow up, as they connect with us and, 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 and work with us, that somehow that relationship gets mirrored in the relationship with God. That would mean that relationship is pretty important. That would mean that if we mess it up too bad, that they're going to be messed up in their relationship with the Lord. And you know, when you talk to most people, most of us that are adults now, a lot of times, whether you, if you've really thought about it or not, you have tended to limit God to your father. If your, God, if your dad was very kind and very loving, you don't have any problem seeing God that way. If your dad was kind of aggressive and kind of mean, you have a hard time connecting with God to think that he's being kind and loving. My dad was loving and giving. I never had any problem with that. But he was never there. I found myself in my adult years thinking, I had a hard time believing God was there. He was actually with me. I knew he was loving and kind and stuff when I could get his attention. But I didn't know if he was actually with me. So, so realize that, that our relationships with our kids is like a precursor to their faith. I think that's why Jesus got up in, all up in our grill you know, when he talks to parents in Matthew 18, and he says, make sure you're not an idiot, is what he's saying to us. He says, in, in, uh, but if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, these kids, it'd be better for you guys to have these millstones tied around your neck, be drowned in the depths of the sea. Don't be an idiot, right? That's what he's saying. Now, here's some good news. God has a way to redeem idiots. Right? I mean, because when I look back over the years, um, I mean, there have been times that I've represented God to my kids. That's true. And I fought for that. Other times I have not represented God. I have represented me <laughs> in my anger, in my meanness, in my selfishness, in my contempt. And there were often times where I acted more like Lex Luthor than the Lord. <laughs> and I brought trouble to my family in a big sack, Right? But the good news is faith is not about being a perfect person. It's about being a person who's on a journey of saying yes to God. And those yeses are even more important after you've said no. And when you've been rebellious and when you've been wrong. If you'll stop and say, you know what? I'm sorry, Lord. It's amazing how God has the power to redeem things. That he brings his power and his freedom, his deliverance. And, and he's got this wonderful thing called repentance. That when you own it and you repent, it's as, he takes it and makes it as if it never happened. I mean, you can be a prodigal. You remember the prodigal son story? Who, prodigality is, simply just means wastefulness. 
So here you are, a prodigal. You're wasting your energy. You're wasting your time. You're wasting your relationship. You're not doing what you're supposed to be. You're a waster. But at any point in time, the prodigal, when he discovers, the Bible says, he came to himself. I am a moron. And when he stopped and he looked towards the house where the father was and he took his first step, the Bible tells us he stopped being the prodigal. He actually becomes what uh, history is called the pilgrim. From a prodigal to a pilgrim by a step. All you need to do is take a step. And you're out of prodigality and all of a sudden God can begin to redeem what happened and make it as if it never happened. That's double sweet. That's way sweet. I think that, that there's this heavenly calling for us to stand up in our places as fathers with our kids. And, uh, uh, and let me just throw out a couple ideas before we get out of here uh, about how to do that. How, how do you actually step up and be a better dad? Just a couple of thoughts. One is what I've been suggesting. Place greater value on the idea of being a dad. Actually treasure it. Uh, stop and think, God, what do you think about this? And realize he actually puts value on this thing and start thinking about it more. Secondly, if you want to be a good dad, this may surprise you. But love and respect your kid's mom. The social science data, not just scripture, but the social science data of the last 30, 40, 50 years repeatedly suggests that one of the greatest contributions that a dad can make in the home is to love and show respect for the children's mother. Uh, No matter how nice you treat your kids, if there's constant strife and constant put-downs coming from you against the mom, it will actually be hurtful, deleterious, harmful to your children. I mean, even if you're divorced, you, you still have to remain supportive and respectful of your child's mother. Even if, you know, it's just on the basis of honoring her for the position she's the mother. Because somehow learning to respect and honor the mother is what teaches the kids to learn and honor and respect women in general. Guys, we're not just responsible to teach our kids what men are like. We're responsible to teach them how women are to be respected and how they're to be treated. This is very important. Another great secret is if you want to be a good dad, you need to just learn to love and do it, I think, extravagantly. You need to, do, you need to communicate it. And, and, and let me start out by saying, simply say it to your kids. I love you. Now, that might be really hard for some of us to, to articulate it. But listen, I'm telling you, you say, well, words are cheap. Well, a lot of us are just cheap sort of people. We need to hear it. <laughs> I have a friend who grew up without his dad. He, uh, his dad was really had a messed up life and he was in and out of foster care. And every time he tried to move toward his dad, you know, a couple times he tried to live with him and it was a bad situation and he was out in foster care again and, and, and had a lot of trouble in his life. But he kept pursuing his dad. And I met him, I met my friend in his 20s and he was now into his 30s and I knew he was always, you know, you know Christmas time and other times that were appropriate. He'd try to contact his dad and his dad was real elusive. Why? Because he felt guilty. You know, he felt he had wasted his life and the dad felt shame. He didn't, you know, he just felt odd trying to connect with children he didn't raise. Well, my, my friend kept pursuing him. Well, uh, he was about 37 and when finally got together with him to meet him. They're sitting at a table and, and my friend is just talking to him about his life and, you know, reaching out to his dad. And at one point his dad sort of stopped kind of sheepishly, looked across the table and he said, uh, son, he said, I, I love you. 
my friend said he had never heard those words from his dad. Now he's, he's 37 years old. And, my, and his dad's in his late 60s. And he said, I, I can't tell you how I felt. He said it was like, um, it was like water being porched, you know, poured on a parched part of earth that had never had water before in my soul. He said it was so amazing. And here's what I thought. You can be an idiot most of your life as a dad. And at any point, you can turn and start being a dad. And it counts. I mean, what other job is like this job? You get to count whenever. If you've got breath, you can still count. You can still make a profound difference in the life of your children. And you can do it even when they're not young. You can do it when they're old. Your children are dying of thirst. They need to hear it from you. I love you, daughter. I love you, son. Communicate your love not only that way, but with focused attention, especially when they're little. You know, (laughs) make sure there are times when you stop what you're doing and look into the faces of these kids and the eyes of these kids and listen to them. I mean, I know what they're saying is of little relevance. (laughs) But listen to them. Listen to their stories. Pretend you care. (laughs) You eventually will. Right? Just get and, and this is so. Let me let me just say that again, because there's a. I read a story about this guy that was a, an accountant, and a banker accountant guy, and uh, he was in England, and he didn't like his accounting job, so he studied to become a policeman. So he went to school while he was accounting and, and working in the bank, and he he finally got the policeman gig. And the first day he's out in his uniform. He said he felt like he was in Halloween, you know, basically. Out in this funny suit, you know. He said, I looked like a policeman, but inside I was a uh, banker. Right? And so he's walking around the streets on the beat, his first time out there. And there was this car accident that happened right in front of him. And so the crowd started leaning in. He said, I was leaning in too, looking, seeing what's going on. <laughs> he said, finally, somebody's going, you know, Bobby, Bobby. You know, call him Bobby. You know, policeman, policeman. And, you know, he kind of looked around. He said, oh, that's me. You know, he said, yeah. He said, do something, they said. He said, he said he went out there and he started directing traffic. He said, I felt so weird directing traffic because I was a banker acting like a policeman. He said, but eventually I started feeling like a policeman. This is a great secret to transformation. Sometimes you have to do things you feel weird about doing. Sometimes you have to engage in things that feel totally odd to you. It doesn't mean they're not right. It just means it takes a while. Give your kids attention. Do you even bear hugs and kisses? My kids, even when they got, they're old now, they're all grown. I still make them, I still kiss them. They don't make them kiss me. I kiss them. And, uh, you know, when they're little, they kiss back lovingly and caringly. And then they turn into these creatures. <laughs> these adult creatures. And, you know, now with my boys, I, just, and I give them hugs and kisses. And they, you know, but they don't get, they, now they give you the, the neck. <laughs> give me a kiss. Okay, dad, right, right there. But I go after them anyway. I love them. I'm the dad. The papa, the papa. Sorry. (laughs) Communicate your love by just getting involved with your kid's life. Listen, read to them. Um, Sacrifice things that you'd like to do to do things with them, especially when they're little. Um, I'm not suggesting you become their full-time play friend. I, you know, most of the time when I was growing up, I worked from the home. So my kids are always around. They say, Daddy, do this. Daddy, do this. I said, no, no, no. Daddy doesn't do that. I'm not your playmate. Daddy is boring. I do boring things. Come by me. You will get bored. But that's good because boring is good. 
Sometimes it's good to be bored. When you just wait till you grow up, life's about bored. Right? But but still, you know, go to their games, read their stories they write in school, you know, celebrate their stuff. If they bring home, you know, pictures when they're little, you know, don't look at them with a critical eye and say, you know what? You're not an artist. In fact, you you stink at art. What do you call this? This what is this? No, no, no. Grab and go, oh, oh, oh my, my honey, honey, did you see this? Oh my on the refrigerator. Oh, pictures, pictures, send it to grandma, send it to grandma. You celebrate them. Why? Because they're them. Not because they're any good, because most of the time they're not good at anything. (laughs) Know their names of their friends. Know their names. (laughs) That gets more difficult after four. (laughs) Know the names of their teachers. Eat with them. Celebrate their special days, their birthdays. If I do that kind of stuff, get them on your calendar. Um, Brooke Adams, who lived uh, many years ago, he, uh, he kept a diary from his boyhood. And one day when he was eight years old, he went fishing with his dad. And he wrote in his diary, Went fishing with my dad. The most glorious day of my life. Now, throughout the next 40 years of his life, He uh, kept a diary. He never forgot that day. He kept referring to it throughout his life about what was said, things that happened on that silly day. It turned out that that Brooks' dad was an important guy. He was Charles Francis Adams, who was the U.S. ambassador to Great Britain during the Lincoln administration. He also, interestingly, kept a diary, the dad. And in the dad's diary, Charles wrote, quote, about this same day. He wrote, quote, went fishing with my son. A day wasted. End quote. See, that's not reading that to be mean. I'm reading that to say that's how we think, guys. It's easy to think that way. We just don't feel like we're making any difference. And yet we do. And even if you've done this all your life and you're 75 today, I'm telling you, at 75, you can start being a dad in an amazing way to your kids and it will still matter. Communicate. Now, this is why this is so important to understand. It, we need to communicate to our kids this love. And you need to become not just their dad. You need to become their friend. Now, don't get too friendly. You've got to still be a dad. But you need to learn to, to, to not be this domineering, answering person. You need to let your kids dominate their deepest needs. You need to let them dom- or talk about their, verbalize their struggles. They need to be able to talk about what's going on in their souls without feeling like th- that you're going to respond meanly to them. You need to just open up and let them communicate. Learn to listen, even if it seems trivial to you or you want to correct. It's so important for you to establish that. Why? Because if you're not their friend, you can't be their dad at the same time. You you need both of those things. And ultimately, guys, you've got to be a dad who not only listens but corrects. Everybody say discipline. Oh, we've got to discipline. When they're little, you need to instruct them and work, and work with them. And there are times when you need to employ the infamous pow-pow. Now, I'm not talking about beating your children. You go to jail if you do that. And, and, I'm not, and, I, and what I'm going to describe to you now, you may not buy into. You may think, no, I'd rather just do a timeout. It doesn't matter what you do. It's just you need to be consistent. 
In our generation, when our kids came up, you know, when they grow up, you know, I would tell them, I'd, I'd share with them Bible verses. You know, when they would disobey me, I'd say, you need to obey your Baba's words. You need to obey your daddy's words. Because it's important. I, I want to tell you things and, and that will help you in your life. And when you disobey your daddy's words, it's, it's because you have foolishness in your heart. See, the scripture says foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child. Right? And so I would say, you've got foolishness in your heart. You disobeyed your daddy's words. And, and we've got to get the foolishness out. Because if it doesn't get out, you're going to end up in prison. <laughs> you're going to end up being stupid. Right? 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 And so the scripture says that the rod of discipline drives it far from you. I would translate it to the pow pow's drive it far from you. And I said, I said, you didn't listen to your dad. Why didn't you listen to your dad? The foolishness in my heart. I said, yeah, that's right. There's foolishness. And we've got to get it out. Now this is a two pow pow foolishness thing. Or a three pow pow. Right? And so we'd, I'd get them <coughs> and I'd say, you ready? So we got to get it out. So I'd pull them in and I'd bend them up. They were like ironing boards, you know. And I'd try to come on, that's it. Come on, that's it. And we'd say, now Lord Jesus, we just pray that you get the foolishness out. That this gets out of their heart. Are you ready? Ready? Yeah. I'd say, okay, here we go. Bam, bam, bam. Ah! Is the foolishness out? Yeah, it's gone. It's gone. <laughs> Okay, let's hold. Okay, 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 okay. Ready? You good? You good? Oh, good, oh, good, good. See, now I'm not talking about being a crazy, wild, freak person that just starts swinging when a kid acts weird. Right? I'm talking about something that's consistent. Now, obviously, if they can bench press the back end of a Jeep, this no longer works. And some kids, it doesn't work at all. Some kids don't, just don't react at, at all well to spankies. You just need to find what works. Proverbs says a lack of discipline, it comes across like you hate the child. If you think you're being nice by not disciplining them, you're actually, it's going to have the same result as if you hated them, the scripture says. You have to be disciplined. God, help us do it where it's not the result of a short fuse, but the result of a love that's judicious and not hard-nosed, not trivial, but appropriate. Amen? And the last thing I want to tell you before we get out of here is communicate your love by being your child's biggest fan. You know, <laughs> we need to be fans of our kids. We need to be, uh, one guy said, you need to be on, their, on your child's team, not on their back. And I think that's important, especially as they get older, because some of us are good dads when the kids are little and when we walk in the house. You remember when you walked in the house when your kids were little? Daddy, daddy. I mean, you're like a hero. And then as you get older, or they get older, they change. And you're no longer the hero. You're the person that provides what they need now. And they turn into these black hole sucker things. <laughs> and it's really hard to, to, well, how am I a dad now? How come I'm not the hero? And you've got to shift. You've got to shift so that you don't try to make all these rules and try to get all this conflict. Going. It, it, it's not... It's easy to be on your kid's back as they get older. But don't do it. Try to give them space. Always build sort of a winner's attitude into them. Always, you know, tell them, you know, give them a kind of a sense you can do stuff. You know, you can do some stuff. Uh, never use words like loser, mess up, fool. Don't call them bad names. Don't let those things come out of your mouth. And if they have, go back and own them. Ask them to forgive you. In Genesis 2, the Lord God had formed out of the ground all these beasts of the field, birds of the air. He brings them to Adam to see what he would name them. Whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. See, Adam participated in the creative gesture by, by God saying, you name it. 
And the name stuck. See, we participate in the creative gestures of our children, but what we call them. What do you call your children? You know, trouble. Expensive. What do you call them? See, we need to call them hope for the world. Uh, that they're blessings to us, the scripture says. Somehow, you, you need to realize, I need to realize, our names stick with our children. We need to focus on discovering and cultivating their strengths. We need to get underneath them. And they may be totally different than we want them to be. They may be poor in school. They may not be interested in sports, whatever. But we need to get excited about whatever their interests are. And we need not try to quell their dreams. Listen, life will quell their dreams. They come out and say, I want to be the next president. Say, man, go for it. I want to be an astronaut. Sweet. I want to be a pro football player. You know, don't say, you don't have the genes. You're a runt. <laughs> don't do that. Let them think. Let them pretend. Let them do. And let them join Pee Wee and try. And just let them. And just be for them. Let them know that you're for them. Because them knowing you're for them, whatever life deals out, whatever happens in their life, they'll always know that connection. They'll feel that strength. And they'll move forward even when things don't happen the way they wanted them to. That's the role you want to play. It's wonderful. All right. Where do you stepdads? Remember that Joseph was a stepdad. And that I believed he, he loved Jesus like his own son. You have, uh, my own dad was really my stepdad. Uh, I never knew that till I was older. He met my mom in 1958. She had three boys who honestly, I think we were terrorists. <laughs> we were the unholy trinity. And we were jelly-faced toddlers, hell-bound on destruction. And that man loved my mom and us three boys. He adopted us. We never even knew we were adopted until we were preteens. Never did he ever... And he had three other kids with my mom that were his blood kids. And there was never a distinction made until his last breath. We were his kids. Never, made, never mentioned it to us. My mom mentioned it to us. See, I think... That being a father is more than getting a lady pregnant. Being a father is found in your ability to lovingly raise children. And you can connect with them. A word to you single moms. Remember his promise from Psalm 68 that God is a father to the fatherless. And even though it may be hard, God will step up for you. A word to you church family here for those that have... No dads present in their lives. Lots of kids are fatherless. Remember the text in James. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after the fatherless in their distress. All you ladies who have husbands. All you families that are whole in this community. And in our communities. In the Celebration Network. We ought to be the place that when single moms come in. We move toward them. Get their kids to go out with our kids. Maybe have them come to our house for picnics or or when we do different stuff, so that somehow fathers get in the mix with kids that have no dads. Very important. All right, I need to shut up with this. Dads, uh, realize you're not going to be perfect. I've said that. Ask for forgiveness. Ask God to, to help you. And I'll never forget my dad. One of the meaningful moments of my life. My dad was a 
busy, busy man. And sometimes my mother was beyond her wits with the three of us boys. And she, my dad would come home after a hard day at work. My mom would say, please go beat them. <laughs> beat them silly. <laughs> and, uh, sometimes my dad lost his temper. You know, and sometimes he did. He just didn't have emotional strength and would lose his temper. And I remember one night after he lost his temper inappropriately um, with a belt. And he came up a little while later in tears, knelt down at my bed, looked at me and said, son, please forgive me. He said, I'm so sorry. And I can't tell you how that single moment in my life as a kid with my dad washes almost everything out that he did that was inappropriate. I'm telling you guys, there is power in repentance. Just own it. My last comment to you is I, I, I'm in this uh, uh, philosophy class right now, philosophy and film. We're watching the Birds movies and Hitchcock movies, which I like Hitchcock movies, but <laughs> we're watching the Birds movie and the Birds movie, you know, the Birds are about these, these birds that pick on you. And they come and they go, beep, 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 you know, they're picking on you. And one scene, you know, this guy got so picked on his eyes. Got, anyway, no, <laughs> R-rated. Anyway, I remember watching the movie and thinking to myself, I know how that feels almost every day. You know, because people, when you get in the job force and job market and people are talking to you, hello, 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 you know, they're picking on you and your eyes get out and by the time you get home, you're just like the night of the living dead. <laughs> and all you want to say is, don't talk to me, give me the remote. <laughs> I get that. But listen to me. I double dog dare you to try this. When you get in the driveway, put the car on P, turn it off, and sit there for just a moment and say, Father, if you would like me to be, I'd love to go in there and be as selfish as I possibly can. Not talk to anyone and just grub all night. But if you want to help me, I'm game to being a dad with your strength and a husband with your strength. Please help me. And just sit there for just 30 seconds, 15 seconds. And I dare you to try this. Because when you do it and you walk in, you're going to be surprised. God actually cares about strengthening you to be better at what we naturally don't do well. God bless you. I'm going to invite ushers if they would come as we prepare for communion this morning and the worship team as they come back onto the stage. Some powerful thoughts and words that were shared with us here from Pastor Ed and Allow the Holy Spirit to work those into your hearts and beyond just your thoughts and into our hearts and change our lives. I know I want to ask this, this, this morning as we move into a time of communion and as I share a few thoughts in preparation for that communion, I want to just ask you to, to, to just stay focused for a little bit longer. I know the weather's beautiful outside and you know, I, I can almost smell the brats cooking from inside out there and I know I've got a lawnmower waiting out there for me to race on uh, and I'm excited about that. Uh, I know it's Father's Day. I'm sure that maybe you've got an appointment to eat somewhere. But this is a really important part of our service right now as well. We're going to join together in communion, being reminded of the death and resurrection of Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. But before we do that, here this morning, there may be a father on Father's Day. There may be a dad here this morning that has been hearing the message this morning, been a part of our service, and have been sitting there thinking, you know, yeah, I'm a, I'm a father. And you've been talking a little bit about this, this, this heavenly Father and what He does and how we do reflect Him in our hearts and our lives and the love that He has for me. And 
you know, I understand about God, and I've heard about a God, but he's distant. He's way up there. Uh, he's created the world. I kind of understand that, and I kind of know he's created me. Um, but I don't know whether I've ever had a, a relationship with him. There's been this distance. I want to say to you this morning, many places in God's word, Apostle Paul in, in his epistles, and he talked, and he usually at the end of the epistle would say something like this. As he closed it, he would say, And may the love of God the Father. He would go on to say, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. But the love of the God the Father be to you. And this morning, you can experience the love of God the Father. In a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer. I'm going to invite all of you to repeat the prayer after me. Just a simple prayer, but as you pray it this morning, Dad, not just dads, moms, young people that are here, as you pray that prayer this morning, and saying, I'm beginning and reaching out, desiring to understand and to take hold of this loving Heavenly Father that you're talking about. And as you pray that prayer, you can experience the love of God. If you're praying from your heart, asking God to forgive you of your sins, something will take place in your life that God's Word says we are born again. Born again. A new birth. Experiencing a newness with our Heavenly Father. So would you bow your heads with me? Again, I'm going to invite us all just to pray this prayer together. Repeat it after me. And if you're praying for the first time, experiencing the love of God the Father in your heart and in your life. Would you repeat these words? Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. That you loved me so much that you went to the cross and took my punishment. I ask you to come into my life and forgive me of my sins. I now surrender myself to you.